Historic Cosmic Potato Studios, welcome to That Star Trek Podcast. This is your place for detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. Now, on with the show. Welcome to That Star Trek Podcast, where you can find detailed, sometimes way, way too detailed analysis of Star Trek, (laughs) along with reviews, opinions, everyone has those too, and rampant, reckless speculation i'm tom madison and i intend to live forever so far so good i get to host this very special episode of that star trek podcast where we are doing a review of season two leading up to the finale this should should be a spoiler free discussion in regards to the finale so let's uh good luck for all of us on that so with us today is rick how are you doing i'm ready I'm ready, ready. And me. You stole mine. I was going to say I'm ready. <laughs> that song has been stuck in my head for weeks now. <laughs> yes. I got that one stuck in my head as well. Like one day I just woke up with it in my head mm-hmm. and then and then it'll leave my head. And then in the mornings, I just wake up with it in my head. I guess I'm dreaming it in my sleep. Well, and, and the thing is, it's not just Chapel's version because... I didn't realize when we did our show about it, I wish I had had the soundtrack and had listened to it as much as I have now because Spock's song, I'm the X starts off exactly the same as chapels does with the same, you know, this news really changes everything. Mm. And so I'll get both of them playing in my head, just kind of transposing lines back and forth. You're on point counterpoint. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I haven't watched that episode since uh, we did the the review episode for it, and uh, but I hear some of the music coming, uh, coming through the house from my daughter's phone. So she uh, <laughs> took a liking to that one. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, so as we said, we're doing a review of season two up to the finale. So we're trying to cover all nine episodes in advance. Um, and since you guys started with the musical episode, that really leads into a, a good start for this. And uh, uh, one of the, I think it spoke, it, it's highlighted in this season because there were only 10 episodes. And when everyone's talking about, uh, let me back up, what I'm talking about is all the genres that season two is, uh, is using uh, for their special episodes. Now, I... I said uh, several episodes back that I thought season two was getting kind of gimmicky, and I compared it to season five of the original Quantum Leap for with the stunt casting, and they did you know um, where Sam leapt into more celebrities or famous people, not the everyday person. Um, I'm I, not programmed could, to respond in that area. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going to kind of reframe my statement because everyone's pointed out online when people are complaining about these uh, genre episodes like the musical like the um, uh, MASH episode it it was the the flashback with uh, Chapel and and Benga the counterpoint to that is that Star Trek always done genre episodes and they give the examples of like uh, DS9 especially had the holodeck James Bond episode, his you know spy uh, Bashir spy thriller. You had the uh, musical bits with Vic Fontaine and so on. So I, I'll just start with my point is that I think Star Trek's done it, but we, it's been spread out a lot more, so it's not as concentrated genre stuff. Uh, what do you guys think about the genres and? What are some of the genres that they 
other genres that season two has uh, gifted us with. I don't mind the genre episodes. I think they're fun, or at least I kind of like that Strange New Worlds is unafraid to switch genres from episode to episode, and that because they do come out week to week and one is not expected to binge it, obviously we're going to binge it eventually, but I, I feel like the tonal shifts are fine. I think some people have complained that, oh, it's so weird to go from, you know, I can't, now I can't remember the order, you know, from a really dark episode to a really light episode. That's strange. And I'm like, well, there's a week in between. I mean, it's not like, it's not that jarring. And I always liked the genre episodes, or I shouldn't say that, you know, I like some more than others. <laughs> but what I like in Trek overall is the cerebral episodes and I don't like the action adventure episodes and that's just a personal thing you know your mileage may vary I know some people love the action adventure stuff so for me the weaker episodes this season were not the the genre bending episodes it was just the the standard action adventure stuff that I'm sure a lot of people would say well yeah that's Star Trek and I'm like to me no you know pew pews and and starships flying around is not Star Trek to me Star Trek is an episode like Ad Astra. And you could argue, oh, that's just a gimmick. That's just a genre thing. That's just a courtroom drama. I'm like, yeah, but for me, that's Star Trek because it was um, cerebral. It, it it posed questions and it forced one to think. It uh, That episode, I think, is a perfect example of the morality plays that, you know, was they were talking about with the original series. And original series had a courtroom drama uh they want to say they had a couple of them yeah so it, that one's certainly not new rick you know it's funny um i was when when we talked about this during the season uh after i think in our uh, our subspace rhapsody episode and i was talking about quote-unquote gimmick episodes and neek you called me out on it and I appreciate that because I've been thinking about it a lot since we did that episode. And I think, you know, thinking back to uh, Mission Log, which I, I don't know. Nick, have you listened to any Mission Log? No, actually. Okay. They're, they're one of the best Star Trek podcasts ever. Um, Rod Roddenberry, for, for folks who don't know, Rod Roddenberry... Jesus, almost 10 years ago now, uh, tasked a couple of guys, John Champion and, uh, and Ken Ray, uh, to do a podcast where they would watch every episode of Star Trek and review it uh, and talk about the, the morals, meanings, and messages about the show. Uh, and it's, it's kind of like the official Star Trek podcast. And uh, they're, they're, they're fantastic. Now, Ken left the show... Uh, shortly after they got to DS9 and now uh, uh, Norman Lau is the co-host. But one of the things they pointed out over the course of the show is how Star Trek really works with almost any any genre. And I kind of had forgotten about that until we started talking about it. And what I was calling a gimmick was unfair. Uh, they, you know, Star Trek has always jumped genres. And you also asked me, what do I mean when I say that, you know, what is Star Trek? Cause I, I absolutely said, you know, this is not Star Trek or this, this, you know, I want them to do Star Trek. And I had to think about that. And I had to do a real hard look at what I consider Star Trek to be. And what I realized is that Star Trek is, for me, and I know that there are some who would argue, uh, is a hard science fiction television show that is, for the most part, a drama. And while they can't always be scientifically accurate, because there are con the, the conveniences of storytelling, warp drive, transporters, you know, things like that, where we have to... Uh, step aside from reality or, or 
possibility for the the sake of storytelling. You know, if we had a show where it took years to get between stars, it wouldn't work all that well. And they realized pretty quickly that they couldn't land the ship every season, so they came up with the transporter. Um, but they also played with genres. But I think the difference between TOS, TNG, DS9, etc., the, the early days of Star Trek, if you want to look at it that way, is that they had 26 episodes a season. And so while the majority of the show was your standard TV drama in a science fiction setting, they had a lot of room to throw in a comedy, to throw in a noir, to throw in a bond, sh a, a bond show or, a, or, you know, whatever. And it didn't stand out as much to me, although I'll, I'll be the first to say, you know, some of the comedy ones didn't always land for me. You know, I, and I've said this before, the trouble with tribbles and, and a piece of the action are probably some of my least favorite episodes move along home oh my god kill me <laughs> um but at least they tried you know and and in my in my younger days i didn't appreciate the swing as much as i do now um but with strange new worlds especially season two when you've only got 10 episodes if you have an episode that steps outside of the star trek norm it stands out more and some of these worked really well Especially, you know, Starbase or Subspace Rhapsody shocked the hell out of me how much I loved it. Same. But then the, the, the sitcom episode with Spock's parents, you know, parents-in-law coming for dinner, that one didn't work for me at all. And I, I said it at the time. Um, I think when you've got a, such a condensed uh, season, which is now the norm, uh, I think when something doesn't work, it really doesn't work. And when something does work, it really works. Now, whether that's fair or not, or, or maybe because I'm just an old fart who's used to a different way, uh, and I'll be only, you know, I'm totally willing to admit that, you know, maybe I'm looking this at this through the glass, of, you know, through the, the, the viewport of somebody who is used to an old way of doing things. Oh, stop. <laughs> My wife is going, yeah. <laughs> I think the tonal changes that both of you have referred to, um, especially in those longer seasons, I mean, let's look at DS9 when you had the seasons in the middle of the Dominion War. You know, it would be really rough to maintain that tone of the war. And, I mean, the storylines for the war over so many episodes. So they could throw in the one, the, you know, Worf and Dax's wedding and, uh, our man Bashir and things like that to kind of break things up and also kind of remind everyone it's not all about, you know, war and depression and, and all those uh, horrible things that are going on that they've got the heart that they're, you know, that is uh, kind of a centerpiece to the show there. I uh, started making a list of the EOS characters that we've met. Now, I kept adding names to this as we uh, went along, and I, I only made one reference to the season one finale where that was set in the TOS timeline, the Errand of Mercy, Balance of Mercy. Balance of Terror. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> something like that. So, uh, so we've met Kirk, both the greater and the lesser, to steal the uh, nomenclature for the Kirk. Mm -hmm. uh, number one, Bach, Uhura, Mbenga, Chapel to Pring, Amanda Grayson, uh, Gotti is his voiceover at the end of season one, uh, but that's that alternate timeline. I'll count Khan. I have a question mark next to Kyle, if that's supposed to be the same kyle who he was the transporter chief in strange new world i don't know how we can think otherwise he's the transporter chief his name is kyle just because he doesn't look anything like the the actor who played him in tos i i think he's fine he's like a teeny little wafer thin dude but <laughs> well by that 
that uh, logic then will have to count Mitchell, the navigator in Strange New World. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that's a little harder. That's a little harder because Kyle never had a first name in TOS. Right. It was just Kyle. And he actually was a lot of different. He was just sort of a, a glorified extra who got a name and had a couple of different positions. He was a, he was a security officer. He was a transporter chief. Mm-hmm. Um, looking for continuity in TOS is really a snipe hunt. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think Mitchell is meant to be Gary Mitchell because no. he was very clearly a, a character. Uh, but I could certainly see her being Gary Mitchell's sister or cousin, or they just, you know, Mitchell's not a, an uncommon name. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Gary Mitchell was the uh, contemporary of Kirk. So, yeah. Yeah. That would break things. She a could even be his more. oldest, older sister because he could, right. he could still be in, in the Academy in this, in this season. So I've seen some strange new world haters complaining about all the TOS people that uh, keep showing up. And uh, for those listeners, Rick responded with a hand gesture that uh, expressed his opinion. Oh my God. That- it, it, this, this is the perfect point to point out uh, on, on one of the Facebook groups I'm on. Um, I don't even remember what the point was. So somebody was asking about Mbenga and wanting to know what TOS episodes to watch to kind of get an idea about Mbenga. And I, I said, you know, uh, uh, a private little war, and um, oh, what was the second one? But he was, he was uh, any anyway. I, I I gave a you know a couple of a private little war is the main one where we have Mbenga, um, and then somebody posted, well, I'm not entirely certain this is the same Mbenga because the actors are so different in age, <laughs> and and I. I should have walked away. <laughs> I should have just not engaged. But it bugged me. And so I, I went back into the... I did some research, and it was like, Booker Bradshaw, who played Mbenga in the original series, was 28 when he played Mbenga. Babs... I'm sorry, Babs. I still haven't figured out how to say his name. Uh, his last name is 38. And I was like, all right, there's 10 years between the actors which in your 20s and 30s doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Um, we don't know canonically how old Mbenga was in any of the episodes. Uh, and there's no reason to, you know, at, at 10 years and, and uh, I forget, it was just some stupid, well, I was just saying I'm not certain this is the same timeline. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> People are trying so hard to not accept these shows as just being the same universe, just done differently because we're 40 freaking years in the future now and TV can be done differently and can be done better. The effects are better. The, you know, I was like, Booker Bradshaw's dead. He can't play in Benga now. (laughs) (laughs) Probably wouldn't want him to anyways. No, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) <laughs> no. I, I, it's been a lot of char- new character or TOS characters that have come in but I don't necessarily see this as a problem they're no. working I think the producers are working very hard to fit things into continuity even when they're making it really difficult for themselves like the Chapel storyline uh, or the Chapel Fox storyline um, one of my favorite memes is uh, image from the original series, Ohura being to bring on the view screen. You know, Spock, who is she? She's beautiful. And Spock going, uh, my fiance, you've met her. You, you should know this. And Except that the picture that they show at that point is five year old to bring. <laughs> well, no, when they uh, first. Oh, that's right. They show her later. Yeah. But yeah, they do still, show yeah. her later. Um, I, I think they've done a good job of maintaining this continuity um with with these original characters so anyone I, Nick, you haven't spoken up on the 
character list here. I mean, it doesn't bother me. Like, I don't find it necessary to introduce every single character who is in TOS, but it also doesn't bother me when they're present. I'm, I'm really neutral on the issue. It's like uh, in Solo, the the Han Solo well, movie. Well, <laughs> that got over the top. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think they they still can show us how he came by his vest, but you know, how he came by his vest. Yeah, did they show how he got his vest? I mean, they showed him his little dice and the Millennium Falcon and Chewie and everything. I mean. His clothes that he wore, they still need to cover that. So that could be in Solo 2. By the way, on my list of TOS characters that we've met, I did. there's one more that I uh, have on the list, and that's just Clint Howard. I loved seeing Clint Howard. I love him. And, I mean, all right. He is not a pretty man. He never was. But the fact that he they keep bringing him in, and they give him a different character every time, you know, he, he's no Jeffrey Combs, but he's still fun. And and every time he shows up, I'm like, it's. it's- <laughs> uh, U.S. I remember Enterprise, DS Nine. You, you remember was he in DS Nine? Uh, he was when they went back to twenty uh, first century San Francisco. I'm invisible. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I know he's he's had five different appearances. I didn't know what, what they all were. Okay. Uh, there's just yeah, one. His, 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 most, his most famous one is Balok in Balance yes. of Terror, as we were talking about before. No, not Balance of Terror. Um, Corbomite. Thank you. Corbomite oh, Maneuver. Was it? Ugh. Been a long time. Was it Cor- Corbomite? Yeah, the Corbomite Maneuver. Okay. Which was, I think, the second episode that was aired. Second or third? Well, aired, we don't have not, Scott. Not shot. Hmm? Uh, yeah, we don't have Scott here to, to throw the episode names at us without looking them up. It's a carbomite uh-huh. maneuver. But getting back to, <laughs> uh, if not two S characters, previously established characters being introduced in Strange New Worlds. Do we want to talk about Cyborg and how they introduce him and then do absolutely nothing with him? Sure. That was kind of a J.J. Abrams uh, uh, who directed the second Star Wars movie. Oh, Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson. It was. It kind of felt like that. I, I actually forgot about it until y'all brought it up because I forgot I about really, it too. Yeah, I I didn't really feel the need to see more Cybox, so I probably wasn't too concerned that we. But yeah, if they're gonna point him out as 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 intensely as they did, the fact that the, they did nothing with it in season two is a little odd. That that's well, a that's really it. good word for it. Intense. I'm sorry, Neek. What was that? No, I I agree with you. It it was they made such a point of it when they mm. introduced him that. I think we all assumed they were going to follow up. It felt like a cliffhanger and then it went nowhere. And so it, one feels compelled to question, did they intend to do something? And then that ended up on the cutting room floor. Like, was that a pitch for another episode? And it just never got made because there are other things in strange new worlds that felt like they were being that there were there were setups for something, and then they went nowhere. I'm going to actually. This is almost in support of the Cybok line uh, that they how they introduced him in season one. It felt a lot like at the end of the season two premiere when you know they they talk about giving Spock his slap on the wrist for stealing the Enterprise because they've got and then the camera zooms in on the display and it's something about foreign ships on the Federation border. And then very little corn. Uh, I think they were just, you heard references to them throughout season two. So it's a, all right, we're going to have to cut that section there, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) 
broke my own no spoilers rule. So, so as I was saying in a John uh, editing, uh, <laughs> something that ticked him off on that. Uh, and just to make it clear that we, there was some editing, we've decided to m- make a reference to the final episode. Uh, we were talking about Cybok being referenced at the end of one episode, and we haven't heard or seen anything about him since. Just like at the end of uh, Season 2, Episode 1, the Gorner reference, and you don't see him again until, surprise, surprise, the finale of the season. So it wasn't even an underlying storyline through the season. It just went away and that came up a lot. came out in spades there at the end. I know I was thinking the whole season, Winner the Gorn. You know, we they established it as a, a big looming threat. Where are they? And there's only 10 episodes. How are they going to cover it? I kind of like how they waited until the end to cover it. So maybe they're going to do the same thing with Cybok and he's going to you know, they'll deal with the Gorn at the start of season 3 and then Cybok's going to be more prominent after that. So I'm kind of I'm kind of on the on the opposite take of that. Um yes, I was I was very glad they didn't make the Gorn the big bad through the whole season because that would have been hard to reconcile with continuity. Uh you know, we're still pushing the limits of nobody knowing specifics about the Gorn at the time of the arena, but they, they, I don't think they've gone too far for that. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, and they, they've made it clear. It's the Admiralty that know that the Gorn are a threat. Um, I think that keeping Cybok as, yeah, we know he's there, but we don't know what he's doing. Maybe it's because I don't like the character and I didn't like the movie the character was introduced in. But yeah, they they set up that Cybok exists in season one, but they didn't really set him up as a as a particular villain. And if he were to become more prominent. (laughs) Can't believe I'm about to say this. It would spoil some of the impact of Star Trek V, <laughs> uh, because that was a a big part of Star Trek V before it totally crumbled into stupidity. Was this Vulcan is Spock's brother, and especially with how often uh, Jim Kirk has been on board the Enterprise, you know he's practically a crew member, so he really wouldn't be able to claim not knowing anything about him. Yeah, so I'm I'm fine with seeing less Cybok, but yeah, it was odd that they would make such a point of Cybok and then do nothing with it. Maybe it was just a little Easter egg for the fans. And then yeah, again, that's it. Maybe it was just an Easter egg, and that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh, other characters that you know we've talked about the established ones. We referenced Cybok and how he was kind of dropped, but what about um, Helia and Ortegas? From the start of season two, we were promised a strong Ortegas episode, and we got I Fly the Ship in now, multiple episodes. We, you keep saying that we were promised. Who promised it to us? Uh, press um, materials and I want to say interviews from um, uh, the the actress uh, for Ortegas. Um can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember her name. Blank on her name. Um, had said that there's going to be a, you know, she's got, there's an Ortega episode coming up in season two. Yeah, I, I guess I guess they just interpreted the I fly the ship episode as an Ortega episode. I mean, it 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 wasn't because it, that was just the B story. But I definitely when I saw that episode. I interpreted that as being the so-called Ortega's episode. Yeah, we, so I, we I got wasn't a, waiting for more. Yeah, we got a lot of Ortega's. We didn't get a lot of 
Ortega's backstory, but uh, you know, in the um, God, I, I don't have the the titles offhand. The one where we had the the war flashbacks, where the the, the ambassador was on the ship. Um, we got a lot of Ortegas there. Uh, we got a lot of Ortegas in in Star uh, Subspace Rhapsody. Uh, we got in in the 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 one on Rigel Seven. It wasn't backstory, but we got a lot of Ortegas. And that may be what she was talking about. Okay. And yeah, even I, we weren't promised an Ortegas episode per se. And I I totally agree that I really wish we had gotten some more history about uh, of Ortegas. Um, but we've you know we've we found out she's a she's a veteran of the of the Klingon War. Uh, she's uh, you know, really good pilot. Yeah. <laughs> that's, just, that's kind of it. I'll, I'll take it then that I just, I guess, separate it from what I thought we were promised an episode and didn't get it just to, I think that she's been woefully underserved. That'll um, grant you. Yeah. So I don't know if I agree with that because okay. if you look back at I mean, she's not a main character. She's a secondary character. And to me, it was always clear that she was a secondary character. And I feel like she's gotten as much development as that role deserves. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, think back to TNG or TOS. What do we know about Chekhov? Other than he's Russian, we never learned anything about him. So why should we learn more about Ortegas? And I'm not arguing that we shouldn't. I'm just saying I don't find it quite so egregious or bizarre as everyone else seems to. Just because she's bridge crew doesn't mean she's a main. My only problem with that, and and you're not wrong. You're not wrong. We don't know, you know, we don't know Sulu's backstory. We don't know Chekhov's backstory. We barely know Uhura's backstory from TOS. But as we've been talking about for two seasons now, is Ortegas's sass to to Pike really seems to, and 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 this may be our own bias, and the the writers don't agree or feel it at all. It it really feels like there should be some sort of backstory explanation, but maybe she's just you know a smartass who mouths off and as much as she's allowed to, and we've seen that Pike doesn't necessarily run the tightest ship on in Starfleet on, you know, and when somebody else is in the chair, she's usually a lot more tight lipped than she is when Pike's up there. So maybe, maybe that's all there is to it. Maybe there isn't more depth to it. Um, and, and we're just projecting that we want to see why Pike puts up with her. I mean, she's a, she's an amazing pilot, but she's also kind of kind of snippy, and maybe Pike is fine with that. Yeah, I agree. She's snippy, but you know, one of my running gags in my recaps is that Chekhov is a fuck up. And yeah. <laughs> so my point is that having bizarre behaviors, incompetent officers, um, strange personalities, or different personalities. These are not inconsistent with Star Trek. Good point. And so I, I was never bothered by her, her snippiness. And a lot of people have said on this very podcast, it's like, this is not acceptable. This is not how a military ship runs. It's like, okay, this isn't the Navy. This isn't the Air Force. This is Starfleet. Yeah. And they're living in a so-called utopia, whatever that means to they who are living in it. And I guess for Pike, it's no big deal that she has a lot of sass. Yeah. And so I, I never took it to have a great meaning. I was just like, oh, okay, that's just Ortega's personality. It, to me, it's interesting that they're giving her a personality because they barely ever did that. Again, going back to the original, they, they barely did that with Chapel or Uhura or Chekhov or Sulu. We're getting a lot more from Ortegas than we ever got from the secondary characters that eventually were thought of as main characters in TOS. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's a good point. Or maybe Ortegas went and pulled Pike out from a bus that was barreling down on him, and you know that he's he's uh, tolerating stuff because he owes her. And well, and thinking about yeah. what we were saying at the beginning of the season, I think maybe we talked ourselves into expecting, demanding, an Ortegas centric episode, and we got plenty of Ortegas this this season. But you yeah. know, there was never a Sulu centric episode. There was never a Chekhov centric episode, uh, or a Hura for that matter. So yeah. I said, I, I, I'm perfectly satisfied with the amount of Ortegas I've gotten. Yeah, I am not satisfied with the amount of Pelia I've gotten. True. So for me, this is another one that this is the most egregious character for me. I, I don't mean that I dislike the character. What I mean is, I find it so incredibly bizarre that they introduce such a very specific character. They go out of their way to hit us over the head with the fact that she's an immortal alien who has lived on Earth for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then that never becomes relevant. I mean, it's a little Except for in one of the worst episodes. No, but that, that and that's what I was about to say. It's only a little bit relevant and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow yeah it's barely even and in fact i would argue the way they used her in that episode actually detracted from that episode i mean her presence was fine her scenes were funny but the excuse that we have to take this you know day-long trip to go to this place <laughs> to get this thing that's sort of useful to accomplish a task that would have been way easier to accomplish if they had never gone there in the first place. It was so strange the way they sort of shoehorned her into that episode. So the whole season, I kept waiting for a a story that was going to be all about Pelia and all about her link to Spock's mother. And because they, they also dropped that nugget as though it was super important. And then and the, we never the, got anything. Yeah. Yeah, the the one episode with Spock's mother and Pelly is not even on the ship. Yeah. So what was the point? Like I have nothing against Carol Kane. I thought she was delightful. I love what her. What is yeah. the point of setting up all these different aspects of her personality? Especially since, as you say, we we know barely anything about Ortegas. We know nothing about Mitchell. And yet now we've been given tons of little nuggets about Pelia. And none of them go anywhere. What was that about? And some of her appearances were just there for like a line or two. I mean, okay, she had a a somewhat important part in the crossover episode when she's talking to Boynton. You know, kind of prompted his, his, his mind there to push the story along. But then but you anyone could have done that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, did, I mean, did anyone else feel like she was having trouble talking through that accent she was doing? I mean, I would have preferred if she didn't choose to do an accent, but whatever. It, it, I, it, it, I don't know how to explain how to explain it. And, and I, I, you know, I grant act, actors like to do accents. That's fine. But every time she talks, it feels like she's struggling to get the words out. And I almost wish they didn't bother with the accent. Just never talk, you know, all for a line and, and, oh, that's the accent. You're an Illyria or whatever the hell she is. Uh, yeah. Lanthanite. Lanthanite, you know, and I know I love Carol Kane. I've, you know, loved her. You know, the first time I saw her was on a taxi and, and then, Scrooged, and she's just she's wonderful, but yeah, she was kind of wasted in this. That's it, and that doesn't even talk about all the uh publicity ahead of time. I mean, Carol Kane in season two, and then she's and then she was barely there, yeah, 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 which. We don't know, that may have been you know, she may have not wanted to do more, you know, she's. Jesus in her 70s or 80s so she may have been like all right I'll do your show if I'm only on for 20 you know like uh uh um Tignataro 
<laughs> it's like in discovery she's like yeah i'll be in the show but i'm not going to be there all the time um but yeah it, it just it just seemed really weird that they made such a big deal out of having carol kane on and then there was just hardly any of her on there she was you know yeah when she was on screen for the most part she was pivotal but even then there were still a few episodes where it was like why are you, why is she even in this scene and I use that floor. <laughs> I did no. that. That was a funny line. I'm sorry. That was crazy. Like I use that floor. Um, I don't. Yeah, Kelly and Ortegas are. You know, we got those two. We've had a lot of character development. We've had a ton of character development for Uhura. That I mean, that I cannot think it, be enough. I no. I I'm totally down for more Uhura. And I didn't realize I was how much I adored Uhura until and bring on the hate, folks. J.J. Abrams, for all of the crimes he's committed against Star Trek, the fact that they made he made Uhura such a powerful character, and that has gone on since is something I will always love because she was amazing. Uh, you know, uh, um, not Halle Berry, not Halle Berry. Um, Zoe Zoltana as Uhura really. And, and I know that Nichelle Nichols met her and they talked and Nichelle was totally down with what Zoe did. Uh, I loved what they did, what she did with Uhura made her more than just a switchboard operator. Uh, and, for all of our talk about, you know, why doesn't she know Klingon later? Uh, you know, this Uhura is the Uhura who speaks 67 languages and is incredibly competent and is just an amazing character. And I think that Celia Gooding, uh, Celia, oh, God, Rose? Celia Rose Gooding. Celia Rose Gooding. Thank you. Uh, just nails the character so well. And she has been a joy. When, when they said they were bringing Cadet Uhura on, that was one of the few times I was like, yes, and as opposed to, oh, God, here's some more fan service. She has just been amazing through the whole series. And, and she has taken maybe, you know, not necessarily great writing and made it work and made it great. And I love this, this incarnation of Uhura. Yeah, I, I think they've done a wonderful service to the character. Um, They've continued on from. I'm, I agree with what you said about the JJ verse. Um, did great work with the character in that, and they've continued it on, and in a very different way too. I mean, Strange New Worlds Uhura versus JJ verse Uhura, uh, I think are very different, but in they're both very good uh, depictions of the character. It, it really kind of highlights the um the fault with EOS and Uhura's character or lack thereof if any development well it's Nick did you want to before I, I blabber some more I like Uhura I, I like OG Uhura I think she's my favorite Uhura I feel like Nichelle Nichols played the character with a lot of sass and a sort of wink and a nudge and uh she was very flirtatious. Um, you know, all this, you know, with the caveat that she was given very little to do. Mm-hmm. But I feel like she did a lot with what she was given. She infused her own presence into the role. So I, I personally don't think Zoe Saldana did a great job of that. I, I, to me, she was, like you said, you said she was powerful. To me, that was all on the page and not in the performance. Um, Celia, I think, is doing a better job. But I find her personality to be very different from OG Uhura. I find she's much more, perhaps, like, perky and enthusiastic, but not suave the way OG Uhura was. Mm. But that's not a, even a criticism. That's just different way to play the character. And they're and they're both valid. They're both fine. I I quite like any Uhura I can get is great. I like the character. 
one thing I, I love about OG Uhura, and I think that Abrams and going forward didn't quite catch. I, I understand why they hook up Uhura and Spock in the future. In, in, in the future, you know, the movies going forward, whatever. Uhura loved to fuck with Spock. Yes. Not because she was attracted to him, just because it was fun to fuck with him. <laughs> because it yeah. could, she could make him uncomfortable so easily. And that was her joy, was just screwing with this supposedly emotionless Vulcan, who it was so easy to get him to va- basically Vulcan blush. But he was in on the joke, I think, as well. Eventually, yeah. Well, because I... Now I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah. So after the musical episode, I rewatched the relevant parts of Charlie X. Mm-hmm. And he's in on the joke. Like, she's mocking him as she sings to him. And he's smiling throughout. Yeah. Like, he, he knows that this is all in good fun. And he's cool with it. He's not blushing. He's smiling. What, what episode was it? I wish I, I can't remember. And I'm embarrassed. But there's an episode where things are quiet on the bridge and Uhura's bored and she goes over to mess with Spock and she's like, tell me what it's like on Vulcan when the moon is full and mm-hmm. and, and he's like, Vulcan has no moon, Miss Uhura and she's like, I am not surprised that <laughs> she just walks off. <laughs> well, but it's got the moon where the Kirkovians were. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Maybe Spock was messing with Ahura when he said there's no moon. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And 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 again, Neek, you you pointed this out uh in back when we were talking about season one, uh, because a, a lot of us old timers were bitching about Spock and you were like, He was a lot sassier than y'all are remembering, and I went back and watched and like, Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. That was one of his defining characteristics. He he was all Vulcans are sarcastic AF. Yeah. <laughs> and Spock was downright sassy. Yep. You know, I think a lot of us, I, I know I certainly get, have these ideas about TOS, and I haven't really, really watched TOS in a long time. But there's been all kinds of new Trek that we've um, consumed, and, you know. Yeah, I've seen PNG and DS9 many times and Voyager and all that. TOS, you know, I, I've got the broad strokes of it for the most part and remember a lot of the storylines from being a kid. But, yeah, I forget a lot of, you know, the interactions with Uhura and, and Spock there and Spock's ass. And- uh, we all misremember because mm-hmm. when I was recapping season one of Strange New Worlds, I was critical of Chapel and not so much critical of Chapel because I like the way she's being played now by Jeff Bush. But I was, I kept, you know, making jokes about like, oh, eventually she'll lose all her edge and stop being sassy or whatever. And then I actually went to the trouble of rewatching a bunch of her episodes. And I was like, oh, damn, I misremembered her. She is sassy. She's super cheeky throughout the show. Again, she's given very little to do. Right. But when she's on screen, she's injecting things that are not necessarily in the script. Sometimes they're even in the script. Like the episode, I mean, I, I'm not like Rick. I can't remember titles. But the one where she she tricks a crew member into eating his soup or whatever it is by, you know, threatening that McCoy will do this, that, or the other. So it's, it's quite a, a sneaky little tricky thing. And she does it very pleased with herself. And then she even goes back to McCoy and is like, ha, 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 I did this thing. Look at me. I'm so cool. I mean, and that's completely the way Jess Bush plays this character. And so I thought, yeah, actually, for all the changes they make in Strange New Worlds, there's a lot of things that they're actually bang on. Or they're taking certain things that were under the surface in TOS, and they're just bringing them to the forefront. Right. And maybe some of it is, you know, as the characters are tempered with age, so we don't see it as prominently in TOF. Right. Um, there's a couple of the... Uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm kind of switching topics here. So season two's got some really, really big thing that they just kind of left. 
Um, we already made mention of the Kirkovians. You've got this trans-dimensional portal you can drive a shuttle through, and it's just sitting there. Or the uh, portal from whatever planet it was from the lower deck crossover. This thing time traveled over centuries, and it just takes a little, uh, whatever the element was, peronium. Unobtainium. <laughs> yeah, unobtainium. There you go. Obviously, though, it was preloaded, and they've known about this portal for 120 years. No one's playing with it, and I know I'm playing with the continuity and canon here, but um, the last thing I had was the memory-wiping asteroid. I mean, in our recap, didn't we talk about how useful that could be at, if Starfleet were to hold on to that? No, that was one of my probably my least favorite episode of the season so the, the, the whole Rigel 7 thing was BS well, I, I, okay yeah. go to bed old man <laughs> <laughs> well it, it wasn't that the, the concept was bad it was just the execution was like we'll forget everything we need until we need to remember a salient prop point to move the story along it just, yeah, I just didn't like it <laughs> um, I do want to talk about some Season two ups and downs, uh, pluses and minuses, whatever you want to call it. Um, a lot of it with continuity. Um, I liked the continuity and the. the I'm good. I had this as a plus and minus. The Cleon makeup. Um, Do we really have to go there? No, I'm just. <laughs> I'm saying I like that they've how they've moved it, and I think it's kind of. It's more along the same lines of the TNG. Uh, the 90s Trek style. Okay, but, I've said this before. I'll, I'll say it again. It's an empire. It's not one fucking planet. I, and I'm editing this one, so I'm going to drop as many F-bombs as I need to. We're on two. And I think three. But um, yes, we got Klingons that were more traditional as far as TNG DS9 goes. So what? You know, I, I think the Klingons... I liked what they did in Discovery, for the most part. There were some some practical issues, and they fix they 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 you know. And I've said this before with the, the the mouth, the teeth. It was clear the actors were having a lot of trouble talking through the dental appliances. Um, but I liked the fact that the Klingons finally looked alien. Uh, you know, we had some issues with the nudity later on. And the the whole ash thing, and and th that's a whole other discussion that we did uh, back when we talked about discovery. But I like the fact that they're not afraid to rework the Klingon look in TOS, especially you know modern audiences look at it and they get really bent out of shape about the quote unquote blackface of the, of the Klingons from TOS. Um, you know, it was very much the time of the Asian enemy. And so they were trying to make them look very Fu Manchu and stuff. And it's, I'm not saying it's good. Um, but that's just, that's, that was the mindset at the time. And then we get to the motion picture and we get the, the, the lobster head. And as Roddenberry, very, one of the few things he said that was, was astute was, this is what they always looked like. We just didn't have the budget to do it. And then every iteration of Star Trek has had a different look for the Klingons. And every time it happens, people bitch about it. And I'm not saying you're bitching about it, Tom. I'm just saying, like, there is never a way to do the Klingons that's going to make everyone happy. Um, I particularly didn't care for the look of the Klingons in this season of Strange New Worlds. But... Ultimately, it doesn't matter. What matters is the performance, not the, the look. When we finally got what looks more like traditional Klingons from a TNG DS9 look uh, standpoint was in Subspace Rhapsody, where they looked a lot more like the Klingons we're used to. But then they were doing <laughs> boy band dancing, which was, which was hilarious. Um, it's an empire. It's not one planet. And so anytime we see a different looking Klingon, to me, I'm thinking, all right, this is from so-and-so planet in the Klingon Empire. 
you know, the Federation has hundreds of planets in it and lots of different species. I don't see why the Klingons can't have lots of different species without people losing their minds about it. All right. Uh, I loved the shout out in Ad Astra about Una and her Gilbert and Sullivan, her, her love for Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. Musical. <laughs> the callback to the short trick there. Um, along the same line, the shout out to Enterprise in the Lower Decks crossover. Um, there are, I mean, several shout outs and, and the crew was giving their love, uh, their own fanboy moment for the crew of uh, NX-01. Uh, what were some other ups and downs uh, for season two for the two of you? I, I liked, I mean, the, the Lower Decks episode was certainly full of Easter eggs, which is absolutely to be expected for Lower Decks. Uh, I, I We mentioned before, I love <laughs> Pelia's line, I use that floor! <laughs> um, and Boimler and, and Mariner were just perfect in, in that episode. Uh, the reference to Hemmer in Subspace Rhapsody was nice. Uh, you know, one thing we don't get a whole lot of in Star Trek is backward-looking references. In uh, in TOS and TNG, that was on purpose because they were thinking more about uh, syndication, and so Roddenberry and then Berman were, you know, absolutely "Thou shalt not." Uh, Roddenberry, to the day he died, despised family. The episode where Picard went back to Lavoir and and yeah, which was one of the best episodes of TNG and Roddenberry hated it because it, it, it referenced another episode and it showed Picard being, being vulnerable. I just think this series is a lot of fun. It, you know, they, they don't always get the continuity, right? And even the, the quote unquote bad episodes are still fun. And I think that's what Star Trek has lost and lost may be too harsh a word, but strange new worlds has really done its best to be fun. And when it's not fun, like the the finale, which we're not going into because we haven't, you know, we're, we'll we'll be doing a, a whole episode on that. Um, when it gets serious, it does it well as well. It, there were some misses this season. I, th- I think the the whatever the Rigel Seven episode was called, I can't remember offhand. Uh, that's a personal thing, and they, like, it is. The, it is. It the, is. The episodes that you dislike are not the same ones that I dislike. And no. and, and, and every fan yeah. has their own opinions on those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think you can, but that's actually one of the things that's really great about Strange New Worlds is that I can pick out certain episodes and say, I did like this one, I did not like this one, as opposed to you know a season of Discovery or Picard, where because they have a greater arc, it's kind of like, it's the entire season that's either yeah. hit or miss. And so that's one of the things that Strange New Worlds does do that's very Star Trek-esque, is be more episodic. And I say this as a huge fan of overarching stories. Or I guess my preference is a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. I like having arcs, but I also like having individual side quests, if you will. Yep. For for me, I... I've talked about this before. I don't like the auction adventure episodes. I do like the cerebral ones. And I do, for the most part, like the comedy ones, as long as they don't involve Ferengi. <laughs> so so for me, Strange New Worlds has been, I think I've liked eight out of ten episodes. And the other two I didn't dislike. I was just like, meh. So in a previous episode of this podcast i asked the question yeah you you mentioned it today rick for you what is star trek what is that essence of star trek for you for me it's do i want to live in that world and that and i was a child when i was watching tng and it in a lot of ways shaped my view of what a family should be what a workplace should be what an environment should be it's a world I want to live in. I want to live on that ship. And that, even though DS9 was a lot darker, I still felt like this was a world I would want to live in. Voyager was a ship I would want to live in. Lower Decks is a place I would want to live in. Strange New Worlds is a place I would want to live in. 
Discovery and Picard are places I would avoid with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> they are not happy places. So that's why, even though I like the darker episodes, I like the episodes that deal with moral quandaries and, and sometimes very serious situations, they're still taking place in a world that is, at the end of the day, uplifting and bright and inviting. And so even things like set design, I like the strange new world that once again has a color palette that's very inviting. Yeah. I like the costuming. Everything is, is it just looks like a happy place. And, and Pike is absolutely a guy you would want to hang out with. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, the first season of discovery where Lorca, you know, literally turned out to be evil. Yeah. I, I, I think if you, if you look at the, the entertainment of the, Aughts. I, I, I've never found a good word for the 2000 to 2010 <laughs> decade. Um, you know, even Superman, the, the, you know, the, the, the colors were muted. We couldn't be colorful and happy. And Discovery is, is very much a, a, a child of that. And as much as I like Discovery, I, you know, there are some big flaws in it. And you're absolutely right. Just, uh, Strange New Worlds, I fought against it in my own mind because they said up front we're going back to the TOS aesthetic as much as we can in the you know the 2010s or whatever we're calling this decade um we're in the 2020s buddy oh fuck (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah you're right um and and I sort of I yeah (laughs) I remember. No, I don't. That's the problem. I don't. Um, I like how, you know, the the first season of Strange New Worlds was kind of hit or miss. You know, I love all the characters. And again, and and this has been all through New Trek. I have loved all of the characters, except maybe Mud. Uh, (laughs) But the, the stories have not always been great, but the characters have been fantastic. And with Strange New Worlds, it's even better because all of the things that people complained about, and I'm, I'm, I may have too in, in Discovery, they worked so hard in Discovery to not be the template of Star Trek that it pissed people off. You know, it was like, all right, we're not going to deal with the bridge crew, so we're going to ignore the bridge crew. And then we're like, but we like the bridge crew. They're all really cool. We want more of the bridge crew. And it, you know, it did or didn't. So with Strange New Worlds, we're getting the bridge crew. We're getting more episodic. We're getting more of, of a TOS feel for it. And sometimes I think they went a little too far with that. And I've said that on previous shows. We don't need to rehash that. Um, but I love all of the characters. I can't think of a single character on this season or on this show that I wouldn't want to sit down and just listen to stories from. I'm I'm totally psyched about a third season. I would love to get two more. And even when I complained about the shows, the, the Rigel 7 one, I thought, as I've said, you know, wasn't the best ex- executed. But I think everybody performing in it was fantastic. Uh, the one where uh, Spock turned human, and, and again, I made my feelings very clear on that episode, and they haven't changed. It was a sitcom, and we're talking about Star Trek doing different genres. That was a sitcom inside a Star Trek episode. Not my favorite, but better than a, than a sharp stick in the eye. Uh, I think they're taking big swings, and I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I, I said a second reference to the Ryan Johnson uh, uh, The Last Jedi not the best Star Star Wars movie at all but at least he tried to do something different which if you look at the, the majority of the other Star Wars movies risk was not a big thing I appreciate that Star Trek uh, the, the, the uh, Strange New Worlds writers and producers are trying to expand the mythos and trying to do things differently and take risks and take chances and say, all right, we know that continuity says this or, you know, canon says this, but we're going to push that as far as we can without breaking it. 
for the most part. You know, the, the Tupring Spock thing is maybe has broken canon a little bit, but it's been enjoyable. And they have such a wonderful chemistry together that it's been worth watching. I'm down for season three. They have not done anything in this season that has pissed me off. I've griped, but, you know, that's what we do. This is a podcast about the show. When, when we talked about shows that we all liked, it was kind of flat <laughs> because we all, you know, but that was really cool. Uh, I'm loving what they're doing with Strange New Worlds. I'm really worried that the current uh, atmosphere in the executives of the streaming services will cut this show off before it has a chance to really flourish. And I, cause I really want to see, you know, as much fun as this show was in season two, I would love to see where it's at in season five. And I'm fearful that we're not going to get that. Agreed. Wonderful things there. I think this about wraps up our potentially penultimate episode, or at least our penultimate recorded episode covering strange new world season two. And I really was just looking for a way to fit in the word penultimate because <laughs> it's such a cool word. But. So I'm sure our listeners would want to know where they can catch you, Neek. You can go to superanemic.com to read my weekly recaps of Star Trek episodes. Since we don't have any strange new worlds anymore, maybe never, <laughs> um, I'm back to recapping TNG. And you can also stay at the Infinite Potato Network Alliance. And listen to Moon Show, a for Moon all Show. mankind podcast. Moon Show. Hi, Bob. <laughs> Hi, Bob. And yes, absolutely check out Nick's uh, recaps. They are amusing beyond all reason. That that didn't come out the way I wanted to do, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're given a chance now to cover to uh, uh, come up with some of the backlog to catch up on some of the backlog yes. of track recap. Or like you said, you're in season two of TNG, so we're yeah, you get to work through some of that while we wait for season three of Strange New World. And Neek, uh Neek watches anyway. the stuff you don't need you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> but why wouldn't you want to? It's so good. <laughs> Rick, what about you? Where you can, can find, find you? me on that Star Trek podcast, which is what you're listening to right now, or uh, on uh, Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast. When I think there's going to be some of that coming up soon. Uh, you can find me on Captain Game Show occasionally, and also occasionally on Moon Show. Moon Show. And once I stop coughing my guts out every 15 minutes or so, I will be starting my very own new news show called The Geekly World News, All the News You Need Nerd to Know. Wonderful. Thank you, guys. Uh, I'm here on that Star Trek podcast and occasionally on Cosmic Potato. So my credit list isn't quite as long, but I sure love what I'm doing here. And as I've said many times before, I'm just jazzed to be on the show. <laughs> so thank you for joining us and good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you for joining us for this episode of That Star Trek Podcast. You can contact us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can send us an email at thatstartrekpodcast at gmail.com. Help the show grow by giving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Be sure to join us again next time on That Star Trek Podcast, 